You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The last 20 minutes, I think you got a sprinkling about where the ACC is nationally. All metrics, we are one of the leaders in the country in all of those areas I talked about, except the revenue piece of it. And that's been brought to light with the recent move of USC and UCLA to the Big Ten. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for today's episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by Chris Nee, Zach Blostein. Gentlemen, welcome to the bench. You're on it. Hello. Good morning. Great morning. It's a great day to be alive. Uh, we're uh, days away from the start of preseason camp. Got a big, big recruiting week coming up as well. So there's a lot to get to and a lot of positive stuff, a lot of good, good vibes. This is the this season of optimism. Before we get into the positives, Chris, I think we need to talk about what we experienced at the ACC kickoff uh, this past week. You and I were up in Charlotte at the beautiful Weston with fantastic working internet for all the media who was available. It's great that, that that's a thing that they have there. Sarcasm detected. You referred to the speech with ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips, kind of the keynote speech that to start off the event and then the Q&A session after in about 20 minutes. You called it a bloodbath on the message board. You're usually pretty measured. So, and you weren't on Twitter like I was seeing what the Twitter sphere was saying. No, you were just absorbing it all in live time. Called it a bloodbath. Please ex- explain explain why it was said bloodbath. Blood well, I think blood it's... I think it's good to go into the conversation understanding that for Phillips, it was essentially a lose-lose situation. There wasn't probably going to be much of anything he could say to satisfy the masses going into that. I think the bigger issue is that his messaging was poor for a situation where that was going to be the outcome no matter what. He, he kept using neighborhood analogies, wanting everybody to be in good neighborhoods and work harmoniously. He talked about all the things that the ACC is doing well, which there are plenty but then he obviously adds, except for in that revenue department. The issue is he has almost a utopian old view of college athletics where everything needs to do well, everybody needs to work harmoniously, and it's not that anymore. College athletics has quickly veered tor- towards all it simply is about is football revenue. It's all about M-O-N-E-Y, and the ACC clearly has a TV contract with the grant of rights that runs through 2036. That is not a positive. It's not a good contract. He did allude to the possibility of some announcements coming for additional revenue generation. The issue is that nobody believes that it's going to come close to closing the gap that already exists between the ACC and the Big Ten and the SEC and the one that's simply going to exist in five to ten years. That's going to be nearly double revenue of what the ACC is projected to make versus what those two are expected to make. So uh, everybody left dissatisfied. Uh, Joe Giglio, I'm probably mispronouncing Joe's last name, but local media personality in North Carolina, he asked a pretty pointed question directly to him about getting lapped. And uh, the response was essentially, I know what it looks like to get lapped. I just, I did not feel like anything he said in the 50 or so minutes he was on the stage, both in the Q&A session and his opening, that he did a particular job of calming nerves or making people feel comfortable or at least saying, we're working towards trying to do this in a better manner. Too much of it was like, Hey, look at all the good things we're doing, except for that whole financial crisis that we're in. I had an idea of like what the, what kind of tone was being set when 
they went up on the stage and or right before and they played a video in the background, Chris, and it had all the different highlights of all the different sports. And I and I understand like this is this untenable, uh, unenviable situation that he's in where he has to make a lot of people happy. And he said himself, like Jim has been pretty upfront saying, like, I know football needs to be the driver, but man, you got like field hockey and soccer and every single sport was was in that highlight package. And then he goes and talks about all the different championships the league has won and, and whatnot. It's just people wanted to hear about the plan for football. And I understand there's not a like clear cut path to football being uh the the revenue maker that it needs to be to contend with the sec and the big 10 but man it was a tough look to go and and start kind of flexing about some of the other non-rev sports like that's just not what i think the the general audience was was hoping to hear yeah and there were snippets about resolving some of the football revenue issues one was you know everything's on the table he said that multiple times a bunch of spoke about unequal revenue sharing you know basically the best get more money or the ones who drive tv numbers get more money but that's that in itself is an entirely different conversation that has so many little caveats of how do you decide to do this? How do you decide, does Wake Forest get more money in 2022 if they win the conference because they won the conference, even if their TV numbers suck in comparison to an FSU who, say, goes 8-4 and four and isn't in the conference chase, but their TV numbers, LSU game, for example, are so drastically better than anything else produced by anybody outside of maybe a Clemson? Do they get more money because of that? How do you determine exactly how you do unequal revenue sharing? And obviously you got to make 14 people in that room, probably 28 because of presidents and ADs at least happy. And that's going to be a difficult task to do. So, you know, he talked about other revenue streams and basically said they're wholeheartedly in bed with ESPN. They've been a good partner for a long time, which I think that's up for debate because, you know, we're in a 20 year contract that's horrendous. So I don't really know if that makes somebody a great partner. It, but, uh, it was great about all those for things. ESPN, right? ESPN yeah, that I contract. mean, it's, it's it's cheap for ESPN, especially long-term view. That was one of your takeaways. It's something, Chris, you and I have talked about on the phone and text message, like anyways, but but you put it on the board and I tweeted it out. It's like this, this whole, that press conference was eye-opening, I think, to a lot of people, sobering maybe, not to you and I, because we kind of had an idea of, and you know, people who listen to the David Hale interview with Trey Rowland last week. If you haven't, like, I think it's still pertinent to listen to to kind of explain some of the difficulties that the ACC is facing. And, and especially as it applies to FSU, trying to find greener pastures, or whether that's the ACC bulking up or SEC big 10 coming through with all the contractual stuff. Uh, this past week, I think made everyone well aware, like there's not immediate quick fix hope coming, which is probably a good thing to pull that bandaid off. But there was a lot of people who I think were delusional going into the last, you know, the last week or so. Yeah, I mean, the grant of rights is the thing that runs this whole show until that is resolved, either legally or in some other form or fashion. It, it's a binding deal through 2036. And people talk about, oh, would ESPN really want a Clemson and an FSU losing value? Well, in relation to value, the money they're paying those schools at that cheap level contract that they're going to have in the 2030s in comparison to what other conferences cost, I don't really know if they're losing money on that per se. Obviously, it wouldn't be good for FSU, Clemson, those types of properties that are worth a great deal of value. It's not good for them. But in the end, I don't think it's a bad deal for ESPN at any point between now and 2036. It's it's essentially a cheap property they own. They know they have this guaranteed programming 
through that time. And that's what it's all about for them. They're trying to fill 24 hours on what five channels, SEC network, ACC network, ESPN, ESPN two. I'm probably forgetting an ESPN that's out there. The Ocho. The Ocho. Yeah. Here on ESPN 8, the Ocho, bringing you the finest in seldom seen sports from around the globe since 1999. If it's almost a sport, we've got it here. That's what it's about for them is how do we afford cheap programming? There's a reason they show certain programming on those networks that people are like, why is this on? Because it's dirt cheap to produce, dirt cheap to pay for, and it fills the time and they can get sponsorships, advertising for it. And that's what the money's all about. And contractually, I mean, during the pandemic, remember, they were showing like Korean Baseball League or something like that. And that's because you have a certain amount of live sporting events that you have to show to fulfill your contractual obligations with sponsors. So that's only becoming more and more streaming is becoming more prevalent. And I think the big fear to be, Chris, is like if I'm trying to think of the right way to say this, like like. As we look at value and people don't want Florida State to die on the vine, they don't want Clemson to die on the vine. If if the ESPN decides, hey, we are making so much money off these programs currently based on what we're paying for them, and then in 20 years, like we'll look at it and then reevaluate, and maybe they get lapped and lapped again by SEC or Big Ten programs they may not care. Like ESPN may be making so much money off of Florida state and Clemson UNC at this point. And especially what it's going to look like down the road when contracts, TV contracts continue to swell up. And this stays the same. If it stays the same, it may not even be a worthwhile, like you might be fine letting those schools basically quote unquote die, or at least fall flat compared to others and become uncompetitive for, for decades because you're making so much right now. Uh, I certainly hope that's not the case, but that is something I think that people have to realize is, a better than zero percent you know probability right now yeah one final comment we'll move on from this but jim phillips made it abundantly clear that he believes the grant of rights is a binding contract that holds everybody together he commented on how texas ou usc ucla all of their moves are happening after their grant of rights conclude that was challenged by a question late in the press conference of yes those teams are doing that but they only have to wait two three years to do that Schools in the ACC still have a 14-year window left to do that. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I thought somebody on the message board, I forget who it was, said, you know, he kept making analogies about nice neighborhoods and then basically said it's a hostage situation. <laughs> I thought that kind of summed it up pretty perfectly. It's a gated community with really, really, really high gates. Uh, the last thing I'll say on this is he also talked about Notre Dame, which Chris has talked about this before on the board. Uh, <laughs> they kind of hold... They hold the the keys, so to speak, for grant of rights. Like they go to a different conference, then that kind of could, in, in theory, blow up the grant of right contract, right? Uh, but Jim Phillips, and they also hold the key in the sense, like if they enter the ACC, then that totally changes your outlook in terms of adding a power player with a big TV uh, upside and potential there. Yeah, Jim Phillips said uh, he respects Notre Dame's independence. It sounded like he's something like they wasn't, you know, advocating for or pushing for them to join uh, aggressively. But he added, quote, feel really good about it being the ACC, unquote, if Notre Dame does uh, exit its independence for college football and join a conference. So I think there were some eye rolls on that, but I think that's really the wild card in all this is Notre Dame and what they end up doing. Yeah, and for Phillips, that's, uh, yeah, it's a mighty big statement because if Notre Dame does end up making a move, it ends up not being your conference. Well, you're cooked. Well, 
will remember that quote, but it won't matter at that point anyways, right? right? The right. ACC would He'll go and parachute at some point and go do something else. Be AD somewhere, yeah. So It does it, need to be brought times. up. Jim Phillips didn't create this mess. John Swafford and others did. Jim Phillips just has the pleasure of trying to clean it up. Yeah, well, making a lot of people trying to keep a bunch of people happy. And it just, again, it's an untenable situation. He went into that knowing it was probably going to be a bloodbath, and, and that is what it was. So uh, let's move on to recruiting. July 30th. What do we call this event, Zachary? What's the name of the July 30th event? Seminal Showdown. Showcase. I don't know. It's one of those two. Um, that's what they called it last year. Seminal Showcase. Um, yeah, that's what we call it. It's a big recruiting event. It's their last recruiting event uh, of the summer before things go dead in August again. Um, the entire month of August is a <clears throat> NCAA dead period. Um, so no recruits can be on campus. And then things will open up again uh, in September. But we've already started to collect a list of guys um, that have told us directly that they plan to be at that event on the 30th. Um, Seminole Showdown or Showcase, whatever you want to call it. We'll call it the um, Showdown Showcase. How about that? Moving okay, forward. that sounds okay. good. Cool. Um, but yeah, I've uh, started to already collect a list of guys, um, some impressive names. Uh, but yeah, we can get into it. Let's. Yeah, I think there's 15 four stars or greater on there currently. I, I presume it will swell towards at least 20 or more. Um, Seminal Showcase is what we're calling it, Zach. Be definitive, buddy. Be definitive. No, showdown, showdown, show, showdown showcase. Um, I thought we settled on. Yeah, I mean, it's your end of summer event. I, one caveat: I think FSU will be able to host play or recruits for the Duquesne. God, I hate hate that they're playing a team with a tough name to pronounce, but their Duquesne. first game of the season because it's late in the season, or I'm sorry, it's late in August and it's a uh, contest on campus because FSU is playing Week Zero versus normal Week One. Thanks for clearing that up, Chris. So let's get into some of the top visitors. You can check out Knowles 24-7 for the full list. Zach and the crew are running that. It's extensive. It's up to date. It's the most accurate one that you're going to find out there. Uh, and the one that gets the information out the earliest, too, I think you'll find as well. So check out Knowles 24-7 for that running list. Zach, if you could just pick out one person off the bat to talk about the one, the name that stands out the most at this very moment in time that we have confirmed, uh, who would it be? Yeah, so the, the most important name, the, the name that I'm looking at um, on this list um, that I'm most excited about is, is four-star wide receiver Hakeem Williams, right? He, he, I think right now is, is Florida State's top realistic receiver target. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that they're going to get him, but getting him on campus um, for what I believe is a multi-day visit at the end of July um, is a pretty big deal for Ron Dugans and the entire staff. Hakeem is just an elite playmaker. He just moved up. Um, you know, if things were to end today for the 24-7 sports rankings, he would be a five-star, but they don't uh, give out, you know, all 32 five-stars uh, early on. Um, that, that happens all the way in, like, January or February. Um, but Hakeem is in that range, and and for good reason. He's six foot three, and he can move. He's twitchy. He's not just a, you know, straight-line guy that, that you know, can go up and get it. Like, he, he's an elite wideout, um, and I think – uh, Florida State sits in a decent spot. I mean, well enough to where they're getting him on campus um, over other schools like Texas A&M, Georgia, Miami, um, Pittsburgh uh, for, for this end of July event. Um, so I think that's pretty huge. Yeah, I agree with Zach that he's the most important name on the list. To be different, I'll say Blake Nicholson, the linebacker. FSU's trying to battle Oregon there. And a lot of people thought it was going to be Oregon after a late June official visit to the Ducks. But Blake has held off on making a commitment. Another guy expected to come in for a multi-day visit at the end of July. 
FSU's done a really good job there. They love Blake. Blake's a kid who can play multi-down linebacker situations. He can stay on the field. Those are tough to come by this day and age at the position. He's a kid that has an excellent relationship with Derek Ray, who has some ties to his hometown area and knows some things about him and is connected with the family pretty well, too, in the process. Randy Shannon's also done an effective job for FSU. I don't know that he commits while he's on campus for the visit. Uh, Wisconsin just came in with an offer, and he kind of spoke about, you know, evaluating them. So I think that leaves the door a little bit ajar for him taking a bit more time. But I do think it's a possibility that FSU goes for the close here this weekend. It's obviously very important. Uh, or That's probably not the best word to use. It's very uh, indicative that he's willing to come back for an unofficial for multiple days, about six weeks removed from his official visit to FSU when he has to cross the country. I think it speaks the volume of how interested in FSU he is. He had named a top three of FSU, Oregon, UCLA. UCLA is kind of a throwaway on that list. It's really an FSU, Oregon battle. Wisconsin's entered that picture here just recently in the last week. But, you know, FSU is going to go for the close there. If they get him along with DeMarco Ward, I think they're pretty satisfied with what they've done at a position that we've been kind of skeptical or at least uh, critical of how they've gone about recruiting throughout this process. The board at linebacker and wide receiver, both position groups you guys mentioned, like after those top options, I mean, there's some other options, but it's not super deep. So these guys that really just highlights their importance for both Hakeem Williams and Blake Nicholson, in my opinion. Uh, can, can I interest either of you in doing a Blake Nicholson crystal ball on the show? No, I just don't want to tick people off with a crystal ball. I'll drop them at like 12 or 1 a.m. and go to bed. Brendan's so mad. No, I'm not mad. I'm just, you know, Berg isn't here anymore and someone's got to stir the pot. And I guess that's me. I guess that falls on me. I'll be the pot stirrer. So the list is predominantly 23 kids right now. Kenton Kirkland's another important name worth mentioning. Defensive back that's considering a decision in August. FSU, Florida, Georgia have been his consistent top three there. This will be his second visit to FSU in the last two months. He was also at FSU for the elite camp. I think Jabril Rawls is an DB worth keeping an eye on, more so as an evaluation type. I'm interested if FCC gets them to work out what they think of them. They also had him, I believe, at seven on seven, but they did not seem to show a great deal of interest in him that day. It may have just been the way that day played out because you obviously have a lot of kids on campus with a seven on seven. I like the 24 list. You know, they've, they've done a good job of kind of getting ahead on 24, landing Keyshawn Mashburn, defensive lineman last evening from the Quincy area, Gus Monroe School. He's a big body D lineman, can play D line, O line, also plays running back for his high school. Kind of speaks to the big body athlete that he is. He's he got to get running better. back. Yeah, he plays running back in his video. Somebody hasn't watched this video yet. Good job admitting that, Snow. I mean, um, check Knowles 24. I'm not doing a scouting report on a 2024 kid with camp about to begin. Sorry, I just can't do it. But yeah, big body kid. He's got to get better at the point of attack, but that's true for pretty much any big body kid who's younger. That's one of those things that kind of comes with time. The physicality comes along, but that's an area he has to continue to improve on. Uh, Dan Z, the local running back from Florida High, is a kid I really like in 24. Zandamella, offensive lineman. He's teammates with Lucas Simmons. He's somebody that FSU really, really likes. He could play center. Charles Lester is on our list. I think that one's a little open for debate as far as whether or not he's definitely coming. I think there's a couple of schools that are expecting him right now. We'll see, but obviously he'd be an extremely important visitor as well. He's a five-star. FSU's really competing with Alabama and a few others at the very top of his list. He just put out top 10, but those two are two of them. CJ Hurd's another kid worth mentioning. He likes FSU a great deal. 
And then there's a sprinkle of 25 kids led by running back Donovan Johnson from Savannah. He's a talented back that's been on campus before. He's going to be one of the better backs in his class based on what we know about 25 as of right now. Do we think we should be on commit watch potentially? You talked about Nicholson and maybe thinking it, it won't be. Well, not, FSU might go in for a yes, push to try to I, get it. I but. think FSU is going to try to finish July with a couple of commits, especially in the 23 class, um, just to kind of cap it off. There are some positions where they need to close on some guys. I don't think a guy like Hakeem Williams is close to deciding. But I do think individuals like Blake Nicholson, uh, Kenton Kirkland in the 23 class are certainly guys that could decide in the next seven to 10 days or early to mid-August based on comments they've made and things they've done in their recruitment. And then there's others. There's Brock Glenn, who's currently not on our list to visit next week because we haven't had that confirmed. But he's a guy that we believe could commit within the next week. We've kind of been sitting and waiting for him to commit now since, what, about July 12th when Chris Parson backed off. Let's park it right there because I think we, we need to owe at least a couple minutes to talk about Brock Glenn and the timeline with that. So we are kind of waiting, as Chris said. Uh, right now, it's kind of interesting that like, you look around at the other programs that are in it for him. Who who, who else is there at this point? Like Auburn's kind of conceded him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Notre Dame, you spoke with, that was a name that got added into the mix recently. And people were freaking out on the message board. But Chris, you're able to kind of scratch that off. Yeah, I talked Dame. to Tom Moy when Notre Dame came up. Tom always very well plugged in with Notre Dame stuff. Uh, he said that their focus was on Austin Novosad, similar to Ohio State. And, you know, both of those schools, along with Baylor and Texas A&M, are waiting for the Baylor commitment to make his final decision. How many people a year do you think get their arms cut off in a Baylor? Baylor? I hardly know her. Damn it, Michael. Pay attention, man. So it wasn't a big deal. And then Tom subsequently wrote about it, I believe, on Friday maybe that uh, Notre Dame, you know, the indication they got from Glenn or his camp was that he's essentially decided mm-hmm. that they're too late to the party. So that kind of falls in line with the Ohio State. Like, we thought maybe he's waiting on Ohio State, but it seems like Ohio State's waiting on someone that might decide after. Like, so that's, let's, okay. Try so Ohio just... State's waiting on Austin and Novosad, but if they miss on Novosad, it seems as though they're not in a rush to just take a guy to take take, take a guy, right. Because um, they have impact. an excellent commitment in the next class, so they can afford to wait because they have a good quarterback room and they have a future commitment. I think it's one of those things where they probably, uh, you know, sometimes when you talk to coaches, they're like, well, if we miss on that guy, we're just going to reevaluate, see how guys emerge, watch senior film, go from there, maybe see if there's a way to merger or a coaching mm-hmm. change bringing about a shakeup at the position with a kid that we liked previously that we can go back and pursue. But it doesn't seem like Ohio State, if they miss on Novosad, are going to shift immediately towards Brock Glenn. Which would then fall in line with it, or not fall in line, I should say, with his projected timeline, which we've reported a couple of times going into like, I guess two weeks ago, a week and a half ago at this point, we were saying it could be days to like maybe a month before his senior season. Uh, So we're still within that timeline. Like people are freaking out that didn't happen within days. When you say days to a month, it's still in that window. Uh, His his senior season, I don't know when the start date is, Chris, but camp for him starts on Monday. Yeah. Uh, I know his high school coach, when I spoke to his high school coach, was hopeful that that Brock would make a decision before Monday. Uh, We're recording this on Sunday morning. If you hear from us again today, it's because there was an instant reaction podcast. I don't know if that's to happen, but... Uh, something that at least I'm planning my day around like possibly happening this evening. So to paint the picture of him the last two weeks communication wise with me and Zach back on July 11th, I asked him if he was on the verge of a commitment. He said he's still taking everything day to day. 
I checked in again with him around Friday, July 15th, just to see if it would be that weekend because I was going to be traveling and I didn't want to, you know, be in the middle of South Carolina and something happened. No, sir, it won't be before Monday. Checked back in early the following week. Uh, asked if he had locked in a day for announcing as we enter a new week. This was on Sunday, July 17th. On Monday, he said, I have not just yet. I asked if it was likely that he decided before his preseason started next week, this coming Monday. He said, hoping, sir. So, yes, sir. That's where we sit right now. Uh, you know, I, I try not to bug him every day. I do check in every couple days, two to three days, uh, usually just a text message just to see where he's at. I expect it to be FSU. I entered a crystal ball on that. I'm not one to rush crystal balls anymore these days since everybody's in a panic over that feature. And, you know, I get it. But are you implying that I rushed mine? No, I'm just saying that people get critical of it very quickly. But my point is, he's going to decide when he wants to announce. And he's given no indication that he is, you know, ready to do so, or at least setting a date and telling us a date. I do think he's a kid that very easily just pop an edit on Twitter and be done with it. So. Yeah, um, I, I agree with that. I think I think you you have it all uh, right. Um, you know, the one school that that, you know, could jump in here that I think we haven't mentioned is LSU. Right. Like they were the, the last school that kind of offered. And after he after the offer, he kind of did say that he was considering them. Um, it was towards the end of June, I think, right before that Elite 11 um, competition out in California. He got that offer. And that's what kind of uh, presumably made him postpone that that commitment that he planned to make uh, initially before the Elite 11. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, if this goes into next week, um, he could theoretically I know that that his team is starting uh, practice, uh, you know, tomorrow, uh, but he could theoretically with, with things being open, um, take a visit. Um, and then obviously if I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I'm just saying theoretically he could do this um, just because of, of the recruiting, you know, open period or whatever it's called uh, over this next week. Um, so that's one thing to monitor, but I, but I'm with Chris, um, you know, if I were still entering crystal balls, I, it would be on Florida state. Um and, and yeah, I like where they stand. I think there's multiple things. So like to, to recap it, then we'll move on. Uh, there's multiple things that I think that are happening. I think the least likely at this point is that he's waiting for like new stuff to emerge, right? Like I think he kind of knows who the players are. Uh, what he said to Notre Dame about him kind of having a decision uh, rules that out. Uh, the next, maybe a little bit more likely is that it could be LSU as the wild card, but he would have to probably still visit LSU to feel good about committing there. So I guess we'll be on watch in the next few days. Like if he, if he doesn't commit and all of a sudden with things being back open uh, and especially if it doesn't happen, like if he doesn't pop to FSU by the time that July 30th camp is, is wrapping up, I'd imagine like FSU likes to have guys commit all, you know, day after day after day to kind of create some, some buzz. So uh, that's the next thing is to kind of keep an eye on, like Zach said, with with LSU. I, I think then the most likely after that was potentially like waiting to see what happens with Ohio State, but like I just that doesn't seem to be what's happening at this point. So to me, the most likely scenario is Florida State. Now, whether that's a matter of him like already having made a decision and just waiting to make an announcement, so it's strategic, or two, just kind of still like legitimately feeling things out right now uh, and seeing, I guess what happens. I, I don't know, but I think it'll be Florida state. So I'm with and, you guys. That's just how I would got to peck in order of like his decision-making process. If I had to kind of read the tea leaves and talking to LSU folks, Ricky Collins is still the most consistent quarterback name I hear from them. And it's one that I believe our guys at the LSU site consistently 
project as the most likely quarterback in their class. So just to add that little point. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. I just heard back from us. Um, I asked Ooh. about Glenn's timeline um, and I was told it could happen any day now. So, uh-uh. um, yeah. So we'll, we're, we're monitoring it. I think this happens probably before the end of the month. Um, I think that's the most scenario. Obviously, I don't think it would be a good sign if he if he postponed it uh, even further. Um, but but I'm of the belief that it probably happens sometime this week. What did I tell you guys like four or five days ago? What was my gut? You thought today, today. Sunday. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I, I, that's not me knowing anything other than just reading the tea leaves. Um, but we shall see. Moving on. Now, of course, after saying that, he's going to commit like during this podcast, and we're going to have to stop and blow it all up. All right, moving on. Last recruiting item is uh, is FSU is in the mix for a cornerback transfer. That's cornerback, uh, someone to add potential depth to the position group from the FCS level. This is a position group that FSU has been trying to add depth to, just hasn't really worked out for a variety of reasons. Uh, so looks like one more player is being evaluated. Zach, I'll throw this to you because you've had the scoop and all the info on this recruitment. Yeah, so Jacksonville State transferred defensive back Malik Beaster um, entered the portal, I believe, two weeks ago. Um, I spoke with him shortly after that. Uh, and, you know, I think it was two days after Florida State offered him a scholarship. I was told that, um, you know, it's not a for sure thing that he's a take right now for FSU. They're kind of waiting it out. But Feaster did tell me he's going to be on campus in Tallahassee, um, I believe, just for a, a one-day visit, um, like probably an unofficial uh, on July 28th. Um, that'll give a chance uh, for Florida State staff to evaluate him further in person, kind of get to know him a little bit before they make a decision on whether they want to take him. Um, an interesting thing to note with him is that he graduates uh, from Jacksonville State on August 5th. So if he were to, you know, join the team, he'd be, you know, at least uh, a week or so late into camp. Um, so he'd be a late addition, but he's someone that they're monitoring uh, for, for that. I believe that final spot, right? They're at 84 right now at 85. Is that, so is that our belief? Chris and I have both been able to confirm independently with different sources that they're at 84 currently. My, my scholarship tracker, I'm at 83. So there's someone who I think maybe a PWO who was added on scholarship is the most likely thing. Uh, but they have one more spot for all intents and purposes. Gotcha. Yeah. So he'd be the uh, candidate for that last spot. I don't know of any others, obviously. Uh, um, do you not but, know of any others? Is there no one else that you would know about that could take up the last spot, Zach? Destin Hill is the other um, pr- player that we're watching that could t- you know take up that last spot. I don't expect that. To who that? I don't expect that to happen, but <laughs> Um, Chris, I like Chris, Chris's body language was initially was he was as far away from the mic as possible. He backed up and then he decided to make the joke. But it was the conflict of whether to talk about Destin or not, which I can totally 100 percent appreciate. Chris is so optimistic. I'm going to lock this thread. <laughs> um, yeah. So Malik Feaster, he's a defensive back, um, you know, pretty standout DB at, at Jacksonville State. Had uh, a good past few years. He'll be a grad transfer once he. He grads in uh, on August 5th um, and we'll obviously catch up with him when he's on campus on the 28th. Yeah. The, the depth at cornerback is sneaky. Like there's some promising pieces there, but like one thing could really like one guy not panning out or one injury could really derail the, the depth of that position group. So uh, 
understandable why they're still searching for that one more to get nine cornerbacks on the roster and have a backup for every two backups for every position. But, uh, but yeah, I think it'll kind of depend on what happens with, with Mr. Hill. And uh, I, don't know, I guess let's maybe give us some clarity to like August time, right? Like as, as the yeah, now or never type with him, but I digress. I'll let Chris lock that thread. All right, let's take a quick commercial break. Uh, and then, oh, I don't know why I said break like that. When we come back from it, we'll do a quick uh, fall camp preview that starts on Wednesday. We'll do some some confidence ratings and we'll uh, we'll be done with the pod. So yeah, uh, hang around. We'll be back in a minute. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to On the Bench. We are about to go through our preseason camp uh, confidence ratings and preview. Before we get to that, a few house cleaning items. Uh, FSU begins camp on Wednesday afternoon. We'll have like access to pretty much every single camp uh, outside of a few scrimmages, but every single day of camp we will be staffed and have multiple people at to provide updates for you guys. So check out those 24 seven. We'll obviously be doing podcasts, videos, whatnot as well. Additionally, uh, some programming notes, Mike Norvell will be doing a press conference on Tuesday to kind of preview the season. We'll get access to assistant coaches as well. And then also August 11th, August 12th, FSU will be practicing in Jacksonville for a couple of days. So uh, that's everything right now. We have the schedule up on those 24 seven fellas. Let's get into the position preview series. Uh, the way I want to do this is I'm going to go quickly. We're going to just talk about the position groups as we see it right now. Uh, we will be doing more extensive position preview stuff with the X's and Knowles guys a little bit later on in camp. So for now, this is what we're going to do is just our general thoughts on what we're looking for in camp and, uh, and confidence ratings. So that's going to be a scale of one to 10. This is something I've been doing for years on the website. We're doing the audio version of it. Now, basically uh, you go one to 10 for the position group, 10 being the most confident. You think that's in the hundredth percentile of power five programs. You think it's elite. A five would be like in the 50th percentile. You think it's an average power five group. And a one would be 10th percentile. You think it's it's pretty uh, abysmal. So let's start at quarterback, fellas. Uh, all eyes on Jordan Travis. Uh, how much is he weighing these days? 212 pounds, according to the roster. I think he said 205, 206, though, at kickoff, if I recall correctly. But uh, Sinone told me. Yeah, I know. Gate, Sinone lied. Wait gate, wait gate continues. Hmm. So anyways, Jordan Travis will be uh, – Quarterback one, it's the first time FSU has entered uh, the preseason with like a definitive, no like kind of controversy, no evaluation to be done really. Like, you know, this is a guy you're building around since I think 2017, since DeAndre Francois was quarterback one. We saw how well that worked out. So hopefully this goes much smoother. 
I, we all know I'm a big fan of Jordan Travis. We've done a lot of articles this offseason, really diving into the stats to show like just how much better he makes players around him and, and how poor the supporting cast has been too and like what he's been able to do despite the supporting cast. I'm going to start off my confidence rating. I'm going to go with a 7 out of 10 here. I think Jordan Travis is really good. I do have concerns about the backups with A.J. Duffy and Tate Rodemaker. People internally are a little bit more optimistic on them than I am. Uh, but I think Jordan Travis is going to be in the upper echelon of college quarterbacks this year. Definitely, definitely a top 25, top 30 type of quarterback. I'm going with five because of JT's inability to stay healthy and the fact that I don't feel comfortable with a backup situation. I think AJ Duffy will be good in time. I don't want him getting thrown in the fire out of the gate this year, and I don't really believe in anything after him. Yeah, I, I'm going right in the middle. I think a six. Um, I, I'm with Chris. Like I think. Jay Trav, like, I think his ability is great. I think they can win a lot of games or a decent amount of games with him at the helm. But we've seen uh, in his time here, he has not stayed healthy uh, throughout an entire season yet. So, I, you know, based on that, I, I think it's just tough. And, and I don't really think they win a lot of games with, with either of the other guys um, behind him. So I'll go with the six. Let's stick with Zach. We're going to go to running backs now. It's Sean Ward. Trey Benson, Lawrence Tofilly are going to be the top three. There's obviously some no unknowns with all three of them, even though Trayshawn Ward is the leading returner in yards per carry in the ACC. None of them have ever been the guy. Uh, Trey Benson in particular, there's not a whole lot of body work in general, but he is someone who looks really good at times. So, Zach, uh, your thoughts on the running back group, I guess what you're going to be looking at here with camp coming up, and then finally uh, your confidence rating. Yeah, I, I think it's a good group. Um, it's a better group than I think we thought it was going to be going into this year, um, obviously with them losing Corbin, um, one, of, one of the leading rushers. Um, but I think I, th- I, I'm really conf- I, I, I like Treshawn Ward a lot. Um, I like what he did for them last season. He got them, got them out of some tough spots, um, you know, just really shifty. And then Trey Benson, um, I think he's the difference maker here, right? Like without him, you know, I, I don't think I would rate this group high at all. Um, but but I think he could be that dude for them. Um, obviously, he has to show it. He has not done that yet on the college level. He's you know obviously had injuries um, at his previous stop at, in Oregon. But um, from everything we've seen uh, throughout the spring and, and over the summer, um, I'm of the belief that he can make a difference um, for them and be a difference maker on the field this upcoming season. So I'll, I'll give it a seven. Um, I think there's, like you said, like other than Ward, there's not a lot of proven options. Um, you know, Tofili could be a guy that breaks out, um, but, I, you know, I'm not sure of that. I think he's kind of a, uh, you know, you use him once in a while. I don't think he's an every down back. Um, but but I think seven's a fair grade, um, considering there's just a lot of unproven uh, guys in that room. I was also sitting on seven. <laughs> I think Ward's production will increase. I, I'm buying wow. on Benson. I think Benson could be really good. Toe Philly, to me, is kind of a wild card. He provides a different kind of spark, a different kind of capability of doing things at that position. I hope that he takes the next step. He's a guy that I'm throwing a little bit of optimism in his direction, hoping it actually pays off. I'm at a six there. Sorry, what were you at, Chris? I was getting tired. I was at seven. Seven, okay. Uh, Also, seven, that's right. And we'll obviously cover O-line, but a reason I'm at seven with running backs is I think the O-line's improvement will benefit Mm -hmm. running backs greatly. That's reasonable. Yeah, I'm at six. I'm kind of in a similar range as you guys. I do have more confidence in Jordan Travis as a starting quarterback than I do in any of the running backs at this time. So that's why I couldn't uh, go above 
a seven, but uh, I think Trey Benson, I'm all in on him as well. I think he's going to be really good. I think the only thing that I'm not sure on is like how long it takes him to get acclimated. I think by the end of the season, as long as he stays healthy, he'll be really solid. Uh, hopefully it's a thing where he can kind of hit the ground running that they know what they have in him and they give him the ball a lot. And it's the thing that's like prevalent in the run game pretty early on him and Trayshawn Ward are a nice one, two punch with LT being that, that gadgety third option. Uh, and don't sleep on CJ Campbell. He's my boy. Uh, I, I am high on him. I think he does provide nice depth. If, uh, if things go awry to where he can maybe be like a Trayshawn Ward 2.0 uh, down the road. Let's go to wide receivers. Uh, Chris, I will start with you. That is a pretty polarizing group just because of all the different uh, additions that have come in this offseason. Uh, you know, tossing around in my head, four five is the ballpark I'm in. I'd probably lean five. I feel like Micah Pittman's going to be a massive upgrade for them. They need somebody else in that group that they brought in to emerge. I thought Winston Wright would be the guy. But the biggest question with him is availability. When will he be able to return to the field and contribute? Uh, guys that are returning that I feel good about, Ja'Kai Douglas obviously has shown playmaking ability. I think Malik McClain's a guy who can take a next step for them. And then another one of those newcomers who I hope will do something for them because his size makes him a unique opportunity guy, a guy who can do a lot of things for you at a lot of different places on the field. Johnny Wilson is a guy that I need him to catch the ball more consistently. But if he can do that, I think he can help elevate that position. That position is probably the one on the roster who I have a low opinion going in the season of, but they can do the greatest amount to improve upon where I think they sit right now. The capability is there for it to be much better than it has been in a long time. But, yeah, they got to actually go and do it. Um, I, I agree. I think the four to five range is good. I'm going to go with the five. I'll be more on the optimistic side if you want to call it that. Um, I think, I think like Chris said, I think Micah Pittman's the safe bet for a guy that's probably going to be one of, if not the top contributor at the position this season. Um, I think Pokey Wilson still, you know, serves you in some form or fashion. Um, and there's a few other guys in that room. Malik McLean hopefully takes a step up. Uh, if Johnny Wilson can catch, like Chris said, I think he could be a difference maker, especially in the red zone. Um, some, you know, they, they need a receiver like that. Um, so I think if he can develop into that, that'd be massive for this offense. They have good red zone efficiency. Um, but to have that, you know, tall receiving target that can go up and get it would be massive because um, they don't really have that at tight end, which we'll get into. Um, but but yeah, I think it could like the, the room could be a really good. Um, let's say like if Winston Wright is available, healthy and ready to go um, at his full you know playing potential early on in the season. I, I I'd probably raise that score to like a six or a seven because I, I just think Winston Wright's um, a dude. He's the guy that comes into this room with the most production at his previous stop in West Virginia. But obviously that, that freak car accident just really hurts it. Um, so I'm really mm -hmm. hoping that he, he can get healthy um, and he'll be, you know, available in, in preseason camp, hopefully at some uh, point. Um, but I, but I, yeah, I think right now five is a fair grade for, for what they have coming in. But I usually do a wild card story. Nobody wants a wild card. Okay. It doesn't make any sense. We don't want a maniac in our group, but there's no benefit to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like you just agreed with me, but you weren't listening to what I was saying. Before the preseason or sometime in preseason camp, I'll do that again at some point, but like the guys who really swing the pendulum one way or the other, depending on, on how they perform. And I think Trey Benson is someone I mentioned for the running back group. I think at wide receiver, like there's probably three or four different guys who I would define as wild cards. I think Winston Wright for the reasons Zach mentioned, uh, Johnny Wilson for the reasons Chris mentioned with his upside. 
even Malik McLean, uh, Micah Pittman, like all the guys like have some level of like there's some intriguing trait or skill set if it gets unlocked, like that could really change the complexion of your passing game, which has been uh, very, 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 very subpar the last couple of years. Uh, but if not, then you're kind of living in the same territory. If we use the one to 10 confidence rating scale, like at the end of the season and say, this is what it was like last year, it was a one. It was in the bottom 10 percentile of power five wide receiving groups. I'm going with a four and it doesn't sound impressive. That's slightly below average still. Uh, but to make the jump from a one to a four, I think is significant. I am buying in on like one or two of those transfers, making a pretty positive impact. And then if just some of the guys who come back, Ja'Kai Douglas, Ontario Wilson, Malik McLean, maybe Darren Williamson or Kentron Podier, like if someone else kind of just steps up even a little bit more, I think that elevates what you can be there. So a, a four, I'm the lowest of this group, but in some ways I think I'm pretty optimistic uh, about the progress the group uh, is going to make this offseason. Moving on to tight end. For my position preview story, I went with a three for the confidence rating, but I also did it out of order where I did the tight ends and then the next day I did wide receivers and I can't have those two position groups one apart. I think there's still a pretty drastic difference. So if I had to do a mulligan, I would give the tight ends a two. Uh, I don't feel super great about that room. I think Cam McDonald, like, you know, he is what he is, which is a, a serviceable, maybe above average receiving tight end, but also PFF has him as one of the worst run blocking tight ends in the country. We know I'm on Team YY. I, I am a fan of his game. I think he'll be a nice number two for for FSU. But the overall like potential of that group and the overall up, yeah, you know, where that that ceiling is, where it can be, as well as like the lack of proven commodities for depth pieces, I, there's just not a whole lot of reason to be optimistic, especially if there's like an injury or two. Like I just I don't feel particularly great about that group. So I'm going with the two, uh, Chris. I'm also two. I. Uh production's name of the game and that that group hasn't produced here and i watching them in the spring there wasn't a guy who i felt like was ready to take that next step markston douglas has done a good job of getting himself in better shape uh brian courtney's a glimpse of the future but i don't think the future is now for him Jarrell powers is a kid that was mentioned by mike norvell at acc kickoff but again it's very early in his career i obviously like jackson west a lot but he had a rough spring he did not catch it very consistently that was disappointing I just don't see where the production in that room is going to come. It is worth mentioning with that room, there's a lot of stuff they do that doesn't show up on the stat sheet that does impact the game. I think that's the reason FSC recruits a lot of different sizes and bodies and types of players at that position to some degree. But like, it's not enough for me to elevate that grade. I'm not a huge fan of, of you know, obviously they have a, lot, have a lot of numbers in that room. What is it, at nine now? It's pretty like ridiculous. Um, number wise for for the tight end position. But yeah, I mean they've they've got some solid young guys like a Brian Courtney or Gerald Powers. I just don't think they're gonna make uh impacts this year. Um Cam McDonald from what we saw in the spring kind of worried me a little bit. Um, you know, didn't take that next step. So it just, you know, I think a, a grade for me would be, probably be like a four. Like I think Cam McDonald can be a, a nice receiving target, but like Brendan mentioned, like he he did not grade out well as a as a blocker, um, which is, you know, that's a facet of a, a tight ends game that they need to be good at. Um, so, yeah, I, I think if Cam McDonald can improve uh, from what we saw in the spring um, and kind of take that next step, I think the tight end room could be have a better outlook. But for right now, I, I know I don't have a positive outlook on it, really. Zach, help me out here. White Rector was every bit as good as Cam McDonald was in the spring, if not better. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Right? Okay. 
buyers to know. You hear that? There's some people out there that need to hear it. That's all I'm saying. Offensive line. So a ton of additions, 10, 10 players total added to the roster. So I think they're at 18 scholarship players now, 18 or 19. Uh, four of those additions are graduate transfer types. That is huge. Those additions by themselves are probably more important than any of the freshmen they got just for the singular year. Uh, because all four of those guys are expected to be at the very minimum depth pieces that, that kind of help solidify uh, the worst case scenario or they help eliminate the worst case scenario and they solidify your depth. The best case scenario is you get three or four starters out of that group. I don't think you'll have quite up to four, but I wouldn't be surprised if you end up seeing three guys in the starting mix uh, from the, the transfer ranks. Uh, we'll get into that in a second here. For me, uh, it's like, can this offensive line take the next step up? Can it become an average power five group this year? I think with the guys they have coming back, the new additions that they've brought in, uh, the insurance policy they basically have taken out with those additions. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to give this a five for confidence rating. I think this is an average power five offensive line at long last. It's been a long haul since the 2018 bottoming out. I think FSU's finally there. I'm going to be the optimistic one and say six here. I, uh, I actually think they're going to be a pretty good run offensive line. I think FSU's going to be able to line up and run the ball effectively this year. Uh, biggest addition with the other line is additions. They have depth. It's not going to fall off a cliff as it has in the past when injuries start piling up. The the thing that will make me feel good about saying six is the center position getting shirt up, whether that's Caden Lyles getting healthy, seizing it, and done, doing what he was brought in here to do, or if it's Marie Smith who hasn't relented on giving up that position, showing that the improved size, he's supposedly, what, 288 these days, um, you know, it's going to pay off for him. Because last year, I was his issue was getting blown off the ball, especially as he got more and more undersized as the year progressed. So that center position needs to be shored up for me. But I do think it's a much better group. I think Alex Atkins is the most talented coach on the coaching staff. I think they're going to be able to run the ball at a very high level. I'm mainly leaning into that six because of the ability for them to run it. I think pass protection will still be a bit of a mixed bag. But obviously, they have a quarterback who's going to help them out, presuming he stays healthy with, uh, you know, not allowing those numbers to rack up maybe quite as much as they should with a dropback type quarterback. Yeah, I'll go five. Um, I like Chris's outlook on it. I think uh, the weight gains are what excited me the most, right? Like Rob Scott over 330 now, right? Um, I think Murray Smith, if he can get closer to that 300 range, uh, you know, heading into the season, obviously it's great that he, that he went up um, over the summer um up to like around the 290 range but i yeah like I, I i have a positive outlook i think the additions um i like i think uh um a guy like dimitri Emanuel can solve you know secure off one of those interior spots obviously you have dylan gibbons coming back who i think is probably one of if you're not your top guy other than you know rob scott on the outside um and then darius washington but there's all you know there's a bunch of other guys bless harris justin tarantine like they, they have a solid group of seven, eight, nine guys that can help them win games. I think Mike Norvell said this at, at ACC kickoff. They, that can help them win games, not just go into the game and be serviceable and and you know not look like a complete mess. Um, but now that that they have those guys that can actually help them win, which I think excites the staff and it also excites me more. Um, you know, I don't think they're you know top line guys uh, like like. Brendan mentioned, I think they become an, an average ACC offensive line, which puts me right around that middle range of five. Did you just imply that you're more excited about the offensive line depth than, than the coaching staff? I think I'm as excited about it. Like, I think I, 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 I highly doubt like, that. I think, 
they, they, but I think they genuinely think they have like eight guys that can help them go in and win games, which I think last year was probably around six. I'm just saying I saw Mike Norvell smile when Chris mentioned 10 offensive line additions this class. And, and my okay. man maybe I'm not as excited. I wasn't there, so I don't know. But maybe I wasn't excited. But I, am I felt like me and it. me and Mike had equal levels of giddiness about newfound depth. You guys shared a moment there for sure. <laughs> he leaned Zach's- forward in his chair. Got ultra serious. He did. Zach's Man, trying to Zach's weird. trying to undercut. What we we're weird. Pre- we need the season to start. Oh All right, God. defensive line. The message board. No defensive end, Chris. Don't jump ahead. Defensive yeah. end. I thought we did defensive line as one whole. No, they're two different units. They have a defensive yeah. end coach and they have a defensive line coach. We don't get edge paid defenders. <laughs> Almost done. Almost done. Defensive ends. I'm out of five. I really like Dennis Briggs. I think Jared Verse is going to have some flashes this season where he's dominant. I think Derek McClendon's going to be solid. That's a one, two, three. That's like, okay, we can mess with this a little bit. Now you got to see who that next piece is. Is it Patrick Payton? Is it Byron Turner? Someone that they really like what he's done this off season. Uh, does Leonard Warner provide adequate depth? You know, I think it's more the depth I'm concerned about in general. I think you'll be able to get, I'm not going to say good production. I, I think above average production with the starting, yeah, that rotation of three. Uh, then it's just a matter of, of can you get a fourth one in there to kind of you know, solidify depth, give you options throughout the course of the game and the season. So I'm at a five just because the depth is unknown and I can't be too bullish on the three starters because these are all pretty new roles for all three of them. Uh, Chris, I'll throw this to you for the, your confidence rating. The wild card is Patrick Payton. Wild card, bitches! If he emerges, I, which I think he has an excellent chance of doing so because he's done a very good job since he arrived on campus. I think it really makes them a pretty good group. I'm going with seven. I actually really like Verse a ton. I think Verse is going to bring it from the word go. I don't think it's going to be the Jermaine Johnson effect, but I do think he's going to be very good. I'm also a huge fan of Dennis Briggs. I think Dennis Briggs is a guy who was starting to really show some stuff last year before the cheap shot knocked him out for the rest of the year. I think he's going to come back and be a very, very big player for them. And McClendon has taken that next step. The staff wholeheartedly believes in him. So I, I think they have a very good foursome presuming Patrick Payton does emerge, which I believe he will, that will help them a great deal at defensive line. And then they have some, you know, they have the emergency pieces of breaking break glass in case of emergency. A guy like Leonard Warner, I don't think a whole lot of him, but he's played a lot of football. He can step in there and grab a few snaps when they need it. It doesn't fall off a cliff after they're too deep. They have plenty of bodies there. And some of them are guys that understand how to handle the job. And Byron Turner, as you mentioned, Brendan is another guy who could kind of elevate alongside Patrick Payton. We had heard yeah, from someone on the, like not on the defensive side of the ball that would say like that, that Jared verse was maybe more of a handful than Jermaine Johnson was for the offensive line during the spring. And, and not because of like pass rush technique and savvy, which Jermaine Johnson is great at, but just like the athleticism that burst off the ball and, and, uh, the power, the, I guess, violence, the constant speed energy and power. Is, it, yeah. It's simplistic to say it that way, but it is speed and power. He, he's okay. a very large body who bursts and hits you and will put you on your backside very quickly. And he's good at it. And the thing about him is he's still young. He's still going to learn a lot. He's still kind of raw at the position to some degree, but I do think he takes the coaching and he really enjoys it. He's ultra competitive. He loves talking some smack, but he's there to back it up too. I'm just I'm all in on buying on Jared Burst. I think there'll be games where like a more polished like I'm blanking the name on the name right now, but Clemson's offensive tackles like they'll 
they I could see games where verse kind of disappears for a game with more polished experienced guys that can kind of handle that and beat him with technique. But then I could see games where he's getting, you know, two and a half, three sacks and and being a force against uh you know a physically inferior offensive tackle. Uh so anyways, sorry to say all that it was just a little bit of intel that I wanted to share there. Uh Zachary, go go ahead. Thanks for the intel bomb. Um yeah, I was gonna call you a Debbie Downer. Like I'm with Chris here. Like I I I'm at a seven. Um I like what DMAC Derek McClendon did over the spring. Like I'm with you. Like I don't, you know, it's still a wait and see for him to be a, a, a really solid contributor for them. But I think he, he's certainly serviceable or more than serviceable. And I think he probably makes uh, at least a little bit of a difference on the, on the defensive end spot. Um, Dennis Briggs. The question for me is, is he back to his form, you know, prior to his injury in the spring? I don't think he was, he's had the whole off season to recoup. Um, I, I'm of the opinion that he does get back to that. And if he does, I think that's a scary sight because, um, those, you know, first couple of games before he got injured, he, he looked like he was going to have a dominant season, um, for them, which would have been amazing. Cause like, think about that defensive line last year with him healthy, which would have been crazy. Um, but I think if he gets back to that, I think it's easy to put this spot at a seven or higher. And then Jared verse, like, I, I think, um, I'm with Brendan. Like, I don't, I don't think he'll have like Jermaine, Jermaine Johnson impact on, on the team uh, in his first year, but we, like we, like you guys mentioned, he's young, like he has multiple years here if he wants to. So um, yeah, I'm of the opinion that, that this is not a weakness of the defense at all. I think they're probably going to be one of the strengths. Um, and that's saying something considering, you know, the interior, like we'll talk about in a second is pretty solid. The only other thing was the unknown of like Dennis Briggs playing the edge. I know he's done that before in previous schemes, but yeah, you know, the, the pass rush production that we saw last year was coming primarily inside. So that, there's just a lot of variables for me, but I don't think we're too far off. I mean, I'm at a five. I'm probably closer to a six than a four, obviously. Uh, so I'm not too far off from you guys. Uh, let's go to defensive tackle. I will be the opposite of a Debbie Downer here. I'm very high on this group. I think legitimately an eight is a fair confidence grade. Uh, I could be convinced to go higher on it. I, I want to stop short of that because I've, I hyped up a defensive tackle group a couple of years ago and that came back to bite me a little bit. That's not funny, Chris. It's not funny about 2026. <laughs> we all did. <laughs> Pretend that didn't happen. Um, oh, damn but, beat. Uh, Fabian love it. I mean, the whole damn country. I mean, those guys were anyways, we don't need to no, no, no revisiting uh, the past multiple years ago. Uh, Fabian love it. I'm all in on, I had him at number two, my most important player list. I, I think that was bullish, but I mean, I just love what I've seen from him this off season. I love what I saw in the spring. That dude's huge now. It seems like it's all good weight. Like his his shoulders can't add any more mass onto it. He's as big as he can possibly be. I think. I think he's he's capped out there. Uh, him, Robert Cooper. Coop got to break the the rock that Zach broke about or broke about wrote wrote about. Excuse me, the other day. I'm talking a lot here and really fast. Uh, but anyways, I love those two. That one two punch, experience and and stability there. And then I think the depth is really solid as well. So it's an eight for me. Yeah, I'm in the same ballpark, and it's because of the depth. I love, love it. I have him on my all-ACC squad for a reason. I think he can compete at that level. Robert Cooper does what he does extremely well. He's also got himself in the best shape of his career. He's at 335. You know, he's down like 70-plus pounds since he arrived on campus. Malcolm Ray's guy that emerged late last year, who I like a lot, and I feel like he's kind of coming to his own. He's ready to do it. Jarrett Jackson's another guy got himself in much better shape. The biggest issue with Jackson last year sometimes was availability. I think that's something he's worked to resolve with getting himself healthier in better shape, just prepared better for what's coming. 
they like Jackson. Uh, he's kind of got a bit to him as far as like, you know, bite and spit and he'll get after you and he'll just be mean. He'll be physical. He's kind of a big body. He's pretty athletic too. And then in talking to Fabian Lovett, I kind of asked who's the next guy up in that group. And he, he mentioned Josh Farmer. I don't know how much Farmer contributes this year, but it might be similar to what we saw with Malcolm Ray last year. You know, he's a 300 plus pound, six foot three guy who's built about as wide as it come physically and he can do something. So they have really five real good bodies at that position. That I think they can lean on. We know Adele likes to rotate, keeps guys fresh, have them available in the fourth quarter. I think it's a major strength for FSU with excellent leadership at the top. And that does mm. matter. It's important. Yeah. I think their top two, two guys are really solid. Um, obviously Robert Cooper is going to uh, eat up in the inside. And um, I think um, Fabian Lovett is that dude. I mean, you see him walking around campus. He just looks like a, a top tier defensive interior defensive lineman. I mean, like Brendan mentioned, he's huge now. Um, I think he understands this is probably a money year for him. Um, and, and I think he has a good shot of, of um, you know, getting to the next level and, and becoming a draft pick. So I'm, I'm really high on those two. And then as you guys know, um, I think I was super high or, you know, really high amongst us on, on Malcolm Ray and, and what he did. Um, in the spring, I, I I just think he's a guy that can that can come in rotationally and, and make a difference. And then Jared Jackson, right? Like he, I think he's not far off from those top two guys, um, and he's a backup. So, yeah, I, I'm really high on that group. I think they're probably at an eight for me as well. Um, I you know I think that it just it, it speaks volumes to the to the depth that they've built because I think over the past few years we've kind of mentioned how it, it's been worrisome that they that the depth might fall off, that they didn't have those options that were going to step up um, after, you know, Brendan's all hyped up 2020 defensive interior defensive line. Um, but they really have built up the depth. I mean, even the the freshmen, right? Like Bishop Thomas and, and Daniel Lyons, like I think the staff and, and you know, us included think that those guys are going to be really solid players for them in the future. And those are their, what, sixth, seventh options at the position. So, um, I'm really high on the group. I think it eights in a fair, a fair score and I could see it uh, going even higher um, maybe later this spring or later in the preseason. How embarrassing for you, Zach. Chris is, did you say eight? I know you said you were in a similar range. Did you say Yes, eight I said eight. Score? Okay. All right. So let's go to linebacker. I have them at a five. I might be low on that. Um, but I, I legitimately really like Tatum Bethune. I love what Kalen Deloach did at the end of last season. So I think right there, like that's the best one, two punch they've had inside since like maybe Reggie Northrup and uh, Tarrant Smith year after the championship season. That wasn't a great combo, but it was a serviceable one with guys who had some strengths. And then you factor in DJ Lundy looking like he's in phenomenal shape. And we saw like kind of the beginning of that in the spring of him moving a little bit better. He's even better shape now. Uh, weights as low as it's been he came in like at 255 i think he's like at 232 now and yeah so that's impressive amari gainer is kind of a man without like a quantifiable position but there are going to be matchups in games where i think he's going to be very serviceable and if he can be your fourth rotational linebacker or a starter when you have him you know when you're running your four three uh, there's value to him it's just about not putting him in bad situations so they got four who i i think are capable uh, and, and honestly, guys, maybe maybe could be good. Um, I'm at a five for right now, but I, I I think it could be trending upwards if Bethude and Deloach stay healthy all season, if they are what I think they're going to be. Chris? I'm a five as well. I agree that the trend is most likely upward. 
I believe in Bethune. I do want to see him in action before I go all in on that, but I think he's a massive upgrade. I think he's one of those examples of taking a guy who you immediately move to one at the position, which makes you better because the guy who shouldn't be a two suddenly becomes the first backup. That's kind of the role he should play. One other name I would mention is Omar Graham. I don't think he'll do a ton as a freshman, but I do think he's somebody they might throw out there once in a while, and he brings some things to the spot. Um, yeah, they like him. He's somebody that Mike Norvell actually went out of his way to mention at ACC kickoff. At linebacker is sort of a position for FSU where it just doesn't need to be a weakness. doesn't have to be a strength necessarily. Just don't be a weakness. Don't take away from what the front line can do and what the back half is supposed to do, to, the secondary is supposed to do. Don't be a deficiency. Kev had a great piece on Nexus and Knowles. Check out on the YouTube page about kind of shoring up the linebacker spot and and kind of points like just how limited they were last year with some of the play, whether it was just uh, like DJ Lundy's lack of athleticism and kind of some of the bad habits he had in trying to stop the run, some of the limitations they had in coverage and the things they couldn't do schematically because they, they didn't want to leave those guys out in bad positions. So yeah, if all of a sudden everyone's upgraded and and you know no longer has to play a spot they're not confident playing in and the reps can get pushed down a little bit if Hayden Bethune allows him to unlock that uh, that can have an interesting trickle down effect so check yeah, that out it, what Kev projected I asked Jamie Robinson kind of about that at ACC kickoff that you know when you don't have to have concern about the guys in front of you how much does it make you better at your job and he obviously was nice to his teammates he's not going to throw somebody under the bus but he did make the point of if I'm not having to worry about is that linebacker doing what he's supposed to do in the spread technique past defense situation we're in if I'm just worried about this or that while reading the quarterback and the ball it's much much easier than when I'm also having to read the thing a level down from me I think there's something to that where if that group is short up is better it makes everybody on a defense that should be an improved defense should be a pretty good defense definitely a defense that knows what the hell they're doing walking through the door this year which is a mass improvement over last year where it took until probably what second half of Louisville or Syracuse game to kind of figure it out that's something that I think can make this whole team a lot better and kind of plays into the way I view the defense going into the preseason. And even in that Syracuse game, there was a few tough plays there. Yeah. Well, um, Garrett Schrader had him off balance. Right. Playing him kind of straight up. He just, he would rotate, look for a hole, see if somebody was crossing the field, throw it if they were open crossing or take yeah, off and go. Yeah. Bootleg action killed them. But yeah, to, to your point, yes, that was around the time that they kind of started to figure things out and only got better as the year went on. Uh, Zach, what do you have at linebacker? Um, I think it's at a six for me. I think it's a massive uh, improvement to get Tatum Bethune in here. Um, I think he's an immediate starter, obviously. Um, and I really like Kaelin Deloach as well. I think the one thing that that prevents me from rating it higher as a group is that I just don't think that they're that great in coverage. Like, I think they're probably a liability still. Um, I think they're better with Tatum Bethune in the mix. Um, and I think... Kellen Deloach is probably that guy that that can help them the most in that department. Um, but even him, even he struggled a little bit last year. I watched that video that or that piece that Kev put together, and um, he kind of outlined that and some of the plays that that they kind of got drawn up against. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a much improved group from last year, especially at the start of the year last year, right? Like that group had one of the biggest improvements over the season, right? Like Kellen Deloach became a solid enforcer on that. Uh, defense um i know the unc game was was something um mm -hmm. and he he just he looked really good at, towards the end of the year especially um and i think uh hopefully they can carry on with that momentum and and i think tatum bethune only helps them with that he's a solid enforcer on the inside um and i think he can help them in coverage as well um and he's obviously a 
guy that's racked up a ton of production at the college level, obviously at UCF, but that, I mean, look what he did against UF uh, last year um, in their bowl game. So I think, uh, I think it's a six and I could see it improving if they can improve on those deficiencies that they, that they encountered uh, this past fall. Okay, last position group, and then we're done here, and then it's time for the preseason to officially begin. Uh, it begins as soon as we finish the podcast because it's my podcast, it's our podcast, and we can control what we want to control, narratives and whatnot. Get it I'm going. Gonna go with, I'm going to go with a seven at defensive back. I think that two of your maybe like six or seven most talented players reside in the secondary with Jamie Robinson and Duke Cooper. I don't think Akeem Dent's way too far behind that. I want to see him continue to do what he did last season. But if he does, how he if he does play this year, how he finished last season, then that's probably like three of your top ten most talented players are in that position group. I, I am still a little skeptical about that other cornerback spot. I think you have some decent pieces there, uh, but that's what's really uh, limiting me from from being a little bit more bullish and saying this is a borderline elite group. I think it's a good one. I think there's reasons to be optimistic. I think there's depth at a few spots, but uh, especially at safety. But yeah, the uh, the lack of of known commodities at the other cornerback spot, whether it's Renardo Green, Greedy Vance, maybe Azaria Thomas steps up. Uh, I still don't know yet, uh, but I do really like uh, the the the, the uh, excuse me the direction of the secondary. Chris, maybe you could do a better job uh, that than I just did. Nope, you're muted, so you're doing worse. <laughs> I'm a seven. I'm not going to throw the word elite out there with this group because I just don't think they're in that category yet. But I, I do feel like Robinson's an all ACC caliber player, probably the most surefire guy on the roster who I think will compete for a spot on that team. Akeem Dent figured it out late last year. I think he kind of understands he's in a money year. It's important for him. Interested to see how he does. Cooper's another guy who I'm supremely confident in. After that, Kevin Knowles, I feel good about. Renardo Green, I feel good about, but obviously has to stay healthy. McClellan's a good depth piece. He's a veteran. He understands what's being asked of him, what he has to do. I'm confident when he's on the field that he's not going to mess up. I know they like Greedy Vance. I'm still kind of on Greedy Vance personally, but we shall see. He had moments in the spring. I feel like he's a bit of a gambler, high, high, high risk, high reward kind of guy. Sydney Williams is kind of a wild card to me. And I'm still the wild card, no, 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 so that's no. good. No, no, no. He's somebody that wasn't very healthy at all last year. I actually like Sydney a lot. I think he brings a great deal of physicality to the safety position. And I'm interested to see what he can do. And then you got the youngins, McCall and Thomas's of the world. And I don't know how much they're thrown in that fire this year, but I do think they're two guys who are going to be big pieces of that in the future. The thing that causes hesitation on my part, they've been so aggressive at wanting to continue to add another piece to that group. I feel like there's a reason for that. Yeah. I laid it out perfectly. They they need nine cornerbacks and they only have eight. It was on Knowles 24-7 a month ago. Did you miss it? No one read that. Um, yeah, I think I think seven's a fair score. Like I, I've been debating in my head whether to go lower or higher. Um, but I think seven is fair. Like I don't think you can put them in the elite group and I don't think you can go much lower because they do have really solid pieces, especially um, starting at those specific positions. J.B. Robinson's an all-ACC guy. I think Duke Cooper can be a lockdown corner on one side, but you got to shore up that other side. And I think probably Renato Green is the best shot if he can stay healthy. Um, like Chris said, I really like what Sidney Williams did when he was healthier last season uh, at the safety spot. 
Um, and I think Akeem Dent can probably only improve on, on his play now that he's solidified in one position. Cause that was the biggest issue with him is that they just kept moving him around. Um, now that he's solidified, I, I think he can probably um, continue to improve and hone up his game. Um, but yeah, the depth, the, the depth worries me a little bit. Um, obviously you got the two awesome freshman options in Sam McCall and Azaria Thomas. Uh, but uh, you know, you don't always want to throw those guys in the fire. Obviously they will get playing time at some point this season um, in some form or fashion. Um, but yeah, I, I think the starting unit really excites me. Um, but I think the depth and, and maybe that other cornerback spot are kind of what prevents me from giving them a higher grade. And finally, we are going to skip special teams. Bob Ferranti, you have my number. You can call me if you want to yell at me, but I'm not, we're not, no, sorry. Not what we're doing here. Anything else before we leave, fellas? No, let's wrap it up. Good. Just shake your head, Chris. That's good for for podcasting. All right, for Chris Knee, Zach Blossing, I'm Brendan Sinone. This has been on the bench. Uh, check out later this week. Trey Roland will continue his one on one series. He will have Matthew Quigley, the CEO of. I almost said Seminole Boosters. It's not Seminole Boosters. He can't be a booster doing what Stephen he does. Stephen Ponder oh. would like to talk to you for a moment, <laughs> sir. <laughs> With Rising Spear, that's FSU's NIL Collective. Uh, it's actually a really informative and fun interview. Uh, those two had really good chemistry. Everything has, Everyone has good chemistry, Trey. He brings it out in people. So uh, check that out later this week on the On the Bench feed. Uh, and then I guess that's it. I don't know. We'll see what the rest of the week brings, all right? All right. All right. All right. All right. Bye. 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 Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.